welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. I just love that song. I love the fact that there's so much packed. Hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. Well, I know y'all noticed a different flow today, and um, I'm excited um, to be here today and excited to have this time with you all and us to be able to gather. Um, I'm praying that we will be able to get closer and closer to fully bringing everybody back. That would be amazing. Um, but today is different. Um, today we're talking about teens and justice, and this was actually, you know, I was about to do sermon prep, and um, and everything, of course, started happening. And, and, and my wife was like, babe, have you ever thought about getting like the teens? You've done panels with other people, but have you ever thought about getting the teens together and having them just talk about how they're processing through all of this? I was like, God, that's a great idea. So this is, a, this is really my wife's idea that I think came from God. And so here we are today. And so I would like to thank um, these teens here are really young adults almost now. It's crazy to see, you know, I mean, good Lord. I remember when they were just kids. They're not kids anymore. Um, you know, we have here with us uh, Sophia Lyons with us. Hi. <laughs> we have with us, I call him Daniel Tiger. I don't know if he want me to call him that no more. <laughs> he, look, he looks a bit too big to be called Daniel Tiger anymore. But, but we, we also have with us um, Daniel Johnson with us. I'm so thankful for him uh, as well. We have with us uh, Olivia, a.k.a. Livy Lyons. Glad you're with us. And we have the prophet himself. <laughs> uh, Malachi Lyons, I'm thankful for him. And my son, Emmanuel Mason. Glad you were able to come, son. Clear your schedule for your dad. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. So I'm proud, first off, before we even begin this, I just want to say to each of you how proud your church is of each yeah, one of you. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's number one. Number one, how proud we are and how you all are, um, have just grown and grown in Christ and, and you know, and, and just have been a blessing to the ministry. And is again, y'all, some of you, most of y'all about to graduate, right? Yeah, so it's, yeah, so you ready to get out, Malachi. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I saw the way you put your hand up, he's like, I'm ready. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so, I'm, so, so, so this is a time where really I wanted to, once, my, once the idea came, I was like, man, I think this is a good group to choose older teens, hopefully, and hopefully next time more teens that we get to do this more because, uh, you know, sometimes when you have a younger church, you forget sometimes that, you know, you need to get teens involved with stuff like this. And so let's pray and dig in. I'm going to read a little bit of Bible, and then we're going to flow in this time. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for our teens. I'm honored uh, to be able to pastor them and to just see all of them grow up in both favor and both God and man like Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help this time to have fruit, bear massive fruit, and uh, that your name would be glorified, that you would guard our mouths, help us to say things that reflect you, yet like the Psalms, help their voices to speak for us in ways that um, we may not understand or even heard before. So God, guide us, give us direction, help us be Christ-centered and Bible-rooted in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, so much has transpired uh, over the last few years, probably since you all were in middle school, right? Um, middle school or early, late elementary school. And, and, and over these last probably seven years. And so youth in the stream, a lot of youth in the street um, it, it's de dealing with issues with police brutality. Um, and so we ha happen to have as a church, we have a great relationship with the 22nd District Precinct here, of course, and we're building a relationship with them and others in the city to work on police brutality. We work with them with our boxing league, uh, a boxing league that they put on and that we host and that we're partnering with them in. And so there are ways in which we're trying to bridge that gap. However, I mean, killing after killing after killing. Uh, Daniel, 
talk to me about first how you're feeling. How you're feeling about like how, how have you been processing all this? Um it's definitely it's gut wrenching. Yeah. It's like how many times do we have to talk about this mm -hmm. for it to actually change? Yeah. It's like it's been so many instances going back hundreds of years. Not it's not new, it's just being videotaped. So it's like when is it gonna change? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of um this one of the springboard passages I wanted us to look at and we were reading it in the car on the way on the way here has been the verse that just continues to echo it's isaiah uh, 1 17 amazing verse um learn to do what is good pursue justice correct the oppressor that's that's always that verse correct the oppressor um is an interesting term idea of oppressors need to know their oppressors and they need to be corrected in their oppression. Defend the rights of the fatherless, plead the widow's case. And of course, the fatherless and the widows of that time would have been the people that were most vulnerable. So you could take the idea of fatherless and widows and point it to any vulnerable individuals or people group, but this, this was more, this represented more people groups. And so we wanna, we wanna be able to um, apply that here. Um, Sophia, how have you been doing with all of this? With, hearing and seeing, and I'm pretty sure you've had discussions with friends and family. How have you been processing through all of this? Um, pretty much the same thing. It's heartbreaking to see people that look like you um, laying in the street or being killed by people. And even when people say that like they deserve it, that's also like heartbreaking that when somebody else gets killed, it's kind of like, oh, okay, they have reasons. But then when people that look like you, it's kind of like your life doesn't matter yeah. in a way that like somebody that's white, their life matters more than yours. Yeah, 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 yeah. Livy, talk to us. How you been processing through all of this? Um, for me, it's basically the same thing. It's just like, it's disgusting to see um, people getting, like police getting off um, for killing innocent black people and then people like defending the police. Yeah. Like not every black person that has been killed has been a drug dealer or a woman beater, but that's what they make them seem like in the media. And when you see that, you may not know that person, but like it just doesn't make sense when like every single person is that follows that same narrative. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Malika, same question. Um, I mean, it, it definitely is difficult. Um, just with this, even this just last year as a whole, with everything with George Floyd and then recently Dante, Dante Wright and then the lieutenant who was stopped by the officer at the gas station. It, we're kind of in a system where we've become like desensitized to this idea that black people are just, that become punching bags for society. And it, yeah. it really hurts to go through life as a whole where no matter what I do or what I say, it's, there's always going to be that next story that just shows that we're valued as less than just because of the way that we look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manny. Uh, just as uh, Malachi said, um, it's very sensitizing because like, we see this over and over and over again and it just keeps happening and keeps getting progressively worse. We can have our hands up. We could be sleeping in our beds and we can still uh, uh, on and on keep getting shot and killed for just being the color that we are. Mm. Uh, black, uh, Latino, or light-skinned, just like, annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what for you all, because I want to get, it's a, it's a question I want to wait to get to, but what comes to mind for uh, you all when you think of racial injustices in America? And so when we, beyond just like the police brutality piece, just racial injustice, like one of the things that scared me the other day was um, hearing about young people that are afraid to grow up. I, I, I mean, I almost like, bawled my eyes out just thinking about man I didn't even think about that and how some young men are basically stalling adulthood because of the fear 
of what the world will present. Um, like, like, man, I'm gonna start with you, son. What, it, what? Talk to me about that fear of men, young men being young men and women, but fear of, of growing up in light of being out in this type of world. Well, for one thing, it's just kind of like, like fear-inducing because we see all around us like just people doing their daily like chores, just walking down the street or just um, trying to do what they need to do to just live and people are getting stopped by the police for essentially like no reason and it's just like, what if that could be me? Like when I grew up, I could be driving down the road, like even like maybe even like one mile per hour above the speed limit and I get pulled over and it could just so easily escalate. And it's like, should I be scared in this situation? It's, we always gotta like make sure that we keep our like composure in these situations. Cause like it, that, the people that are on the news that we see that end up dying for like no reason, that could be, that could be us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Malachi, go ahead. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, as a whole, I think uh, growing up as a, as a black man, you're really taught this idea that, that you should be afraid in life. And not in the sense of you should always live in a state of fear, but in, in the state of the world will not treat you the same in regard to anything that you do. When I was like, well, just recently, um, you know, learning how to drive and things like that. I mean, that's a great experience for every young person, just having that new stage of accountability and responsibility and just that next step into manhood. But just realizing that um, parallel parking wasn't my first like driving lesson. My first driving lesson was when I was 12 and we had the conversation. Our parents sat us down and told us, hey, this is what you have to do when you're driving, and this is when you get pulled over by a cop, this is what you have to do, this is how calm you have to stay, you have to keep your hands on the wheel. And at the time, it's like, why do we have to learn this? We have to learn this because even in situations where we do all those things, brothers and sisters are still getting shot in their vehicles and are still getting pulled out and treated as if they don't have any respect. It, it, it's demoralizing to the fact that I could do go as far in life as anything I could continuously like achieve and achieve and achieve this, to strive to where I am and no matter what I'm still put in a place of of like like less than a man in everything that we do there was a situation at close where my dad was telling us that he um, he was just he was going to work and he was flying um, just another commercial flight and um, an older woman had gotten onto the flight and my dad is the hardest working man you'll ever meet. You know, he's served this country for the longest time. He's, he's recently become a pastor. He's been flying for over 30 years. But the, but the woman in particular came on the flight and immediately started questioning his credentials, saying that she didn't feel safe flying with him, saying that she didn't think that he had the right amount, he didn't have the experience, or he was a good enough pilot for her. And then when he finished, she went up jokingly saying, I want you to be my personal pilot, as if it was driving Miss Daisy. It's, we're in a situation where no matter what we do in life, no matter how hard we strive to achieve and do great things, we're still put in a place where either we're not supposed to be that or they don't want to see us in a state of doing well in life. And it's demoralizing and it hurts to a T. Yeah. Wow. Um, Olivia. Fear of growing up. Um, talk to me about that. Um, for me personally, uh, I've been trying to get a job recently um, just so I can work. And when you think about me getting a job, um, it's like I'm afraid to like be in a workplace. And then if something were to happen to me, like someone were to say something racist to me or call me the N-word or whatnot, if I were to go to a position of power, they wouldn't do anything because I'm black or that I'm a black woman. Because the reality is like all black people, like they struggle to like do anything, but being a black woman, you just can't win because um, people find a way to hate on women. And then, oh, you add black to that mixture. It's like, it's you got two strikes against you. So like, it's just, you have to think about constantly 
oh, I have to be this and that and that. And then also in the back of your mind, like that still might not be enough for some people. And it really sucks, honestly, because um, there's really nothing you can do about it because you can't tell a person how to think or tell a person what not to think about or what not to do because you just just can't really have that power over someone. Yeah, yeah. Daniel, growing um, up, fear of growing up. It's definitely scary. My dad tells me all the time, like, well, if you, if you ask all my teachers or anybody who knows me, they'll probably tell you, like, I'm one of the nicest people they ever met. Like, I'm always smiling, just a happy, happy guy. I think we agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but pe for people who don't know me, all they see is this big, black, scary man. Oh, like, yeah. I just stand up, stand 18. up, Daniel. Stand up. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, stand up again. Stand up again. Good God Almighty. Yeah. Man, I'm looking up at you now. I remember he, I remember he was like this. Yeah. Good Lord. Anyway, go ahead. Man. But it's like, they already, as soon as they see you, they already have a perception of you. They don't care what your background is, what, what you've done in life. All they see is the color of your skin, how big you are, and you're automatically perceived as a threat. Yeah. And it's like, I've seen so many stories, it's like, um, kid, like kids are supposed to be happy to drive. You turn 16, 17, I should be, I'm excited to drive, get out. But there's a bunch of parents who said their kids don't want to drive because of what's been happening in the news. It's, it's been just crazy. Can you imagine that? Like parents, can you imagine not wanting to grow up. Like, we was trying to grow up to get out because I grew up in the crack era. But now it's like, man, I'm good. So, interesting. Uh, Sophie, talk to us about that, the fear of growing up. Um, I think it's fear of growing up in, like, the system because um, in any place that you go to or any job you want to apply to, you always got to think about, oh, is my name white enough or acceptable enough for these people to hire me. Um, and then also, like they like they were all saying, driving. Um, it's been instances where we were even driving in the car by ourselves, not even breaking the law. And there's cops sitting next to us or just parked off on the side of the street. And I'm always saying, make sure you're checking your speed. Make sure that we're not doing anything illegal. We're not. But I mean, it's just, um, you always have to double check yourself. And I think it's also that black people are growing up in a society where we always have to make them feel comfortable in order for us to succeed. And even if we don't succeed, we still have to do the things that they want us to do in order for us to get there. Mm. Um, answer this for me real quick by show of hands. How many of you believe that you've ever been discriminated against? before he had an experience okay okay what each one of y'all so man I'm gonna start with you again so um what what was the first killing of a black person in just un, in an unjust way that let me give all of y'all a minute to just meditate on it before I start we just the first time that you experienced or saw um, violence or an aggression against a black person, whether it's Trayvon Martin, wh whichever one you saw. And I want to ask you, that first time, what was going through your mind? What were you thinking? And what were you feeling? I'm going to give you one second to just slot that. The first time that you, as a young black person, saw it on TV, YouTube, social media, what was your first thought? What were you working through? Man. I think like, I don't even remember how old I was. I think I was still like, maybe like nine or like 10 when Trayvon Martin was killed. Cause I think that was like the first one that I really like, really like saw and like heard. Cause it was like all over the news. And I remember like, it like being continuously talked about for like, I think like three weeks. Cause I remember it was like two weeks uh, it was talked about and then like the following week I was at my grandparents house and I just remember like seeing it on the news because my grandfather he uh, he watches the news like all the time it's like normally on like in the morning or at night and I remember like after dinner seeing like them talking about Trayvon Martin and the whole situation around him 
in my head I'm like just confused on as to why the people the police um just just killed him in cold blood and I was just trying to process how like people could just do something so heinous for such a petty reason and it was just very jarring to me as like as the weeks went on because I was like young and I was like the first experience and like I kind of like just felt very shocked and disoriented like I just I just couldn't process it like very well until like like just it took me months to just really just really feel it like in here yeah, I'm gonna come back around to uh, Sophia, and then I'm gonna come through. Um, the same thing as Manny. Uh, Trayvon Martin was the first one that I remember. Um, and I just remember seeing it like in magazines and on the news, and I remember seeing parts of the trial, like, like vividly or whatever. And um, I didn't really understand, like murder in general is just, something that I don't, you know, like to see and stuff. And then when I would watch protesting and I'd be like, why are they protesting and stuff? And then when we had a conversation about it, I was like eight and I still didn't get it. And then you kind of, and then I kind of just got it that white people and the police or whatever are gonna stop you and they're gonna try to perceive you as something that you're not. And so yeah. Um, Olivia. Um, I would say Trayvon Martin was like the first case I like heard about, mm -hmm. but like I didn't really get it. So I would say like the because I was like six, so like the first case that like I actually processed I yeah. think was like Eric Gardner or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Eric Gardner. Um, because like once Trayvon Martin happened, it felt like you couldn't go a week without hearing another black guy got killed by the police. That's what it felt like. So when like I processed Eric Gardner and like hearing how they didn't get off of him after they told him that he couldn't breathe, I was just like, it didn't make sense. Cause like, you would think like, oh yeah, he can't breathe, you would get off of him. But like the fact that he stayed on him, yeah. That as like what I was like seven at that time, like yeah. it didn't make it this it didn't register, yeah. and like I can remember thinking like why don't they like us? Like what did what did the guy do? Cause like he didn't do anything. So like, yeah, that was probably the first, yeah. yeah. Damn. Um, I would say like all these instances like Trayvon, the earlier instances like Trayvon and Eric, um. I didn't really know about them until more recently because I, I never really watched the news. So, but the first thing that hit me was about like a year and a half ago, it, um, it was a Netflix series on the Rucker Park Five. And it was like, they will literally do anything just to get you because of the color of their skin. Like the, the DA, like she lied about all the evidence and it was like, clearly, it clearly wasn't them. And then, but like and ruined those five boys' lives. Like until what, like 30, 40s until they got out of jail. Like they were beaten in there. And one of the kids, he wasn't even there. And he was just sitting there for his friend and then got called in and arrested just because like, just because of the color of his skin. It was like, they don't care and who you are. They just want to get the, yeah. Malachi. Um, I, I have to go with, agree with Manny. So Trayvon Martin was, was more of the first one that I heard about and Thankfully, I mean, my parents really talked with me about like, you know, what was actually going on. So it was like, I got an understanding of it, but it didn't as much hit on that like personal note of, wow, this happened. There were two cases that really like, they really hit me hard. It was the, um, it, it's more recent. I was like 13, I think, when this happened, but I, it's, I cannot remember the man's name or how to pronounce it, I'm sorry. But it was the guy who was in his apartment and the female officer had gone to the wrong floor and because he had left his door open, yeah. she thought that he was in her apartment yeah. and she had shot him. And I think that one was probably one of the most influential because it showed me that like, it, it doesn't even matter what you're doing. You know what I mean? Because it's like, I'm fearful of driving or whatever in a lot of instances where, oh, you know, I don't want to get pulled over because of this or that or this. But it, it, it put a fear in my heart of, 
leaving my door open, not because, oh, someone might try and, you know, rob me or try and steal something in our house, that someone who's sworn to protect and serve me could come in and put, like, bullets in my chest. Yeah. And that, that was extremely fearful. And although this is a longer time ago, learning about Emmett Till at the age I did, where I was the same age as him, probably was, was probably the scariest time of my life, which put a completely like a drastic like hold on how I viewed the world, how I viewed how people would interact with me. And as a whole, it, it sort of put a like divide between how I saw white people. And I think that was the scariest part, that the, the people that I have around me, the friends that I had at that time, who some of them were white, it's like it put an immediate divide in this idea that I don't know how well I can trust white people as a whole after seeing this, after seeing this kid, 12, 13-year-old, same age as I am, go through the brutal and, like, brutal and abuse, brutal abuse that he went through as a child, like, like hurt me and I think that's probably the those are the like most impactful stories for me yeah yeah, yeah. so I want to shift a bit and um, I want to get you guys honest opinion um, probably thousands of people going to watch this right mm. um, Christians right Western Christianity um, evangelical Christianity. Y'all know what I mean when I say that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, like, there's been some weird pushback against believing that there's systemic racism, um, that we're blowing this out of proportion. These are isolated incidents. Like, and I know you guys, you know, we don't, I'm not putting anybody out there or anything, but you guys have had experiences, right? That, um, how, like, what do you think about Christians who fight against Christians who are trying to fight against justice? Anybody? Anybody? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, well, I think that they're wrong, and I think that God is a God of justice, and God is a God of love, and obviously if there's a problem, there needs to be solutions. I also think that Christianity is also... Um, in like America, it's kind of like the thing, I guess, if that's how you want to, if, if that's how you put it. Um, I know this quote that I have on my computer, and it's, um, stop pretending that your racism is patriotism. And I think that that is something that, you know, Christians who do fight, um, Christians who fight justice, that's their main point, especially when the whole thing with like kneeling for the flag and stuff like that was going on people were speaking out against the flag instead of the problem on why people were kneeling um, for the flag Excellent. and stuff. Excellent. Excellent. Anybody else? Go ahead, Olivia. Um, I feel like uh, when you think of Christianity like nowadays, yeah. you think, oh yeah, these Christians are like racists and Trump supporters and like all these different connotations that you think of when you think of Christianity. and when you think of it like that, like one of my friends is Muslim and we were asking him like, why are you Muslim? Like, you know, do you have like any specific reason? And he was like, because I don't like the way like Christians act. And me and my friend, we were, talk we, we were talking to him. We are like, wow, like, you know, cause like if you think of Christianity as like this kind of harmful and hating religion that like puts people down and is always, like only thinking of like the better thing for themselves, then you're never gonna be able to get it because um, when you like, because we were trying to exp like, it, it just, it kind of like stung because if that's how you think of Christians, then like that's how you think of me because I am a Christian. So, because especially like with uh, white evangelical Christians um, who are, some of them who are going around like advocating racism and different like hateful things towards other races of people um, it's like it's like feels weird to associate yourselves in that kind of broad bubble like oh yeah I'm a Christian you call yourself a Christian so that means you two believe the same things and are the same kind of people anybody else um, I mean it shows that 
it, it shows racism is truly a sin issue. And I think the sin issue that really has to be addressed is white supremacy within our society, um, where, where we have situations where black people don't feel comfortable with Christianity because most white evangelical Christians, like Olivia was saying, push this narrative of, of the blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus, where we, there's no representation in the fact that the dark skinned people were in the Bible and history. Where one of my biggest fears going into college, especially going to a HBCU, and one of the things I have to make sure that I have set in stone is not as much is, well, it's a, it's a key issue, you know, where I have to make sure my faith is grounded in the stance of, oh, there's social interactions with people where, you know, oh, don't, um, don't do anything, you know, that goes against the word of God in that sense, but also those who, would, who, who, who believe um, that Christianity is just the white man's religion, where Christianity has, has gotten a false face to this idea that we don't have any representation in it and our problems are not valued by God. But God has truly told us that he always fights for justice and always fights against oppressors. Like he says in Deuteronomy 16, 19, where he says justice is always God's outcome. God is always going to fight for those who can't fight for himself. It seems like a, a, prin a, a principal idea that God is always gonna be with those who need him and will fight against, fight against those who try and oppress his people but we, we've got a, a Christian society, especially with white evangelical Christians, who, who fight so much on issues of LGBTQ plus people, issues with, with those, those outside of the church, but when we have our brothers and sisters in the church who need help and need your backing and need you to say that we love you and we are gonna stand by you, they sit off to the sidelines and say this isn't our problem. And this isn't something that the church would support, which goes directly against what God has been telling us for, set, for, for our entire lives. Amen. 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 Anybody else on that issue? Go ahead, son. Um, for me, I feel like when it comes to people just denying, or our, um, our white brothers and sisters denying um, how these is a, um, is a racial issue, I feel that it's a form of self-inflicted ignorance mm. because it's like, they can't say that it's isolated because this has been going on for for like years. Um, we've had issues with lynchings, like we've had issues with it's, it's even like issues where uh, people get shot and it may not get videotaped, and we just we don't even know about it. And like uh, one of the things for me is I'm going to a historic uh, a, a biblical college, but the population is primarily um, white and. Um, one of the uh, things that I'm kind of like trying to prepare myself for is that um, despite them being Christians, I don't want to have to deal with um, them believing Jesus, like Malachi said, is, um, is white. And mm. it's just, yeah. Anything else on that? Yeah, I would say like, um, like as Christians, we're called to be like Christ. So how could you see all these incidents happen, like, and it's clear hate, and be okay with that. And it's like, how can you call yourself a Christian? It's like, you, and the Capitol uh, building riots, it's like, you see the cross, holding them, holding, people holding the crosses and doing it in the name of Jesus. It's like, it's putting a bad rap on us. But it's like, a real Christian should know that's, that's not how we're called to be in life as well, yeah. So, Amen. So, so in light of this, y'all are doing great. What's your help in all of this? What what keeps you sane? <laughs> what what keeps you from losing your ever-loving African American mind? What? Talk to me. Anybody? Y'all just, just go ahead. Um I mean, just straight up, just the glory of God has has really been the the backbone of why I stay sane. Cause hearing from white Christians, because there are people, there's a specific person at my school who is continuously like following this ideals that, oh, like they're all for, they're like the most outspoken person in the Christianity aspect of knowing facts and principles, but when it comes to talking about issues like racism and injustice to black people, they, they act like it's, like we said, an isolated incident where it's not connected in a sense. So understanding that that everything is really up to God's design is really the point that 
that, that I really follow by, knowing that it doesn't matter what this person says about me, what this white person thinks about me, what they may uh, prejudge about me, how I may be perceived by some people. I know that God has crafted me in his own image and he's crafted me to be uh, a, a warrior for his, for his calling. And knowing that allows me to continuously face on and say, you know what, I'm not gonna just fall back to the sidelines. Because silence is probably one of the worst things that you could possibly do at this time. Being silent about these issues is something we cannot afford to do. So we have to, so knowing that God will always be there and stand with me in this fight allows me to be strong enough to know that I can fight this battle alongside him or allow him to fight this battle for me. Amen, amen, amen. What keeps you all sane? Come on, talk to me. I would say just knowing that you're not gonna win every fight or every argument. Cause like I've talked to people, whether it be like about police brutality a bunch and it's like how they were saying it would be like an isolated incident. And I'll bring up the facts about how it's not an isolated incident. Yeah. And like they're clearly like, you're just gonna have ignorant people. And like sometimes you're just gonna have to come to the realization it's like just pray for them. And it's like, yeah. Just keep it moving sometimes, but yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, just to add on to what they were saying, just knowing who you are as a person. Um, like when you have people telling you constantly um, who you are in a negative tone, um, I think if you know that you are that you are gifted, that you are strong, that you are powerful, that you are assertive, and you, and you are these different things, that you are beautiful, that you are kind that you're not ghetto, that you're not all whatever they wanna call you. I think um, just being self-aware of who you are and not letting people that have no idea who you are get the best of you. Good, good, good. Anybody else? I think like for me, uh, it's just like um, knowing that like in the Holy Spirit that like that these aren't isolated incidents and whatnot and then kind of just my God-given disposition that I don't like care too much about what people uh, think of me. It's like just how I stay sane because I know what I'm saying is correct uh, through the Bible and through my um, my conviction through the Holy Spirit. And I just, yeah, I just don't uh, care what people uh, think about how I uh, feel about these situations and yeah. Um, honestly, just the the thought, it, what keeps me sane is that I know that it's not gonna be like this in heaven, that it may not change tomorrow or next week or next month or next year when I'm 50, when I'm on my deathbed or something, but when at the end of it all, um, it's not gonna be like this in heaven. There will not be any racism or any other, like there's none of that in heaven. So I can trust that because God is a God against sin, like so, and racism is sin, so God will do something about it. Um, he may not strike down every racist that stands before you, but one day when the time comes for you to be judged, the people that are actually Christians will end up in heaven singing kumbaya with Jesus, <laughs> and the people that aren't Christians will be doing whatever, doing whatever, down in the depths. <laughs> Down in the depths. Yeah. That's what we call that place. <laughs> Amen. This verse uh, has been a mantra for our church. It's Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet neglected the more important or weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, Faithfulness, these things should have been done without neglecting the others. That verse, um, basically Jesus is making justice what we call in Bible study methods a hermeneutic. In other words, looking at Old Testament, mercy, justice, faithfulness. When we look at all those scriptures, we look at them in, uh, in light of trying to figure out how to make good decisions, what justice means making good judgments, good decisions. And also justice means properly applying God's word to real life issues. That's, that's justice, that's justice. And so um, f f from the word of God perspective, 
Jesus making this important, what does that what does that do for you that Jesus makes justice important? What does that do for you? Anybody? Anybody? Well, it kind of just encourages me to like strive more for the justice of the people that have been um, been killed, even like outside of like just racial injustice, just um, just like just injustice in general, because it's great to feel that God is like always on the side of the people who are being oppressed uh, and justice. So it's good, son. Good. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, kind of what Manny said. Uh, uh, showing that God is for justice because some some people like don't want to go out and seek justice because they find it a waste of time based on the track record of the justice system but showing especially with the Chauvin case him getting convicted that just like I know it did for me like it showed that there are times where justice will prevail mm-hmm. and God will be on the side of giving this person justice for being murdered and so that kind of what I mean, I was just sort of what we were saying before that, I mean, it shows that God is, is, is truly like providing and caring for those who, who are being oppressed or who feel less than. Um, we're kind of in a society right now where that the, the narrative that, and especially in racial injustice, stuff like that happens, like that isn't valued as highly like we were saying. But it shows that when we look at the truth in what God is saying, God is always going to look out for the little guy or the guy that really deserves to be treated as much as everyone, which is everybody. Everybody deserves to be treated in the highest respect for each other. We are called to love one another as ourselves. So it shows for those who are truly hypocritical about their Christianity, it shows that they truly don't love God as, as much as they say they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is how important has your family been for you through all of this? How important has family and discussions in the home? And how important has it, anybody, how important has family been for you? I mean, I've personally learned most, if not all, of the things I know about racial injustices or just black people in general from my parents. I'm not learning that at school. Like, I'm either I'm learning it falsely in media or um, from a Christian perspective from my parents. So they're basically like the backbone of everything I am right now. That's good. Anybody else? Yeah, I would say, I mean, sort of the same thing. It's like... Um, we sort of have an educational system as a whole in the terms of schooling that doesn't teach, first off, as much of the justice that we need to have and the importance of black history and American history, uh, black history in the terms of American history that we have. So learning that from my parents is key and just learning that, that I am valued is, is something that my parents have done immensely for us and just having conversations with my sisters and my parents learning that through all the stuff that I see the times when I felt low it's like man these they're really killing people that look just like me just because of the way I look you know what what hope should I have learning from them that God has value in me and that that I am valued is something that was key in in having the sanity to keep moving forward and to knowing that I am loved what's up anybody else uh, same as like Malachi uh, said, it's just like it's so helpful and it's helpful in the sense of um, keeping me like sane through like all of this. And it's just it's helpful because, as Malachi said again, um, how this, our school system is, because I recently went through like like two or three units uh, in my American government class where it was um, talking about the history of uh, slavery. And it didn't really give me like really much of like anything. Um, uh, pertaining to like what was going on at that time and uh, just yeah and like just being able to talk with like my family about it um, just kind of gives me like the knowledge that I need to like move forward and just keep moving forward through uh, everything I'll definitely say they've been keeping me informed not only my parents but definitely my older brother stuff like that like he was saying like um, his uh, history class I think we've been on World War II for like two weeks now, but like slavery and Black History Month, I did, I did, the only thing Black History Month, I did maybe in like theater arts class, nothing in any of my other classes. And then like slavery and history class, we went over that for like what, a day? Yeah, so if that, so, yeah, so definitely. Wow, so in closing, um, I want you to look at the camera, each one of you, and briefly, I, I think this one, right, this one? Perfect, perfect, all right. Um, look at the camera, each one of you, and briefly 
encourage parents and your peers uh, with some hope in this time? What would you encourage parents to do that some of your kids would wish parents would do or family members would do in relation to helping them think through and be shaped in a good way to be able to be prepared as best, not just for dealing with life and injustice, but also from a biblical perspective. What would you encourage? We'll start with the parent and then come to the to the kids. Uh, we'll start, we'll, any, any of your guys could start, yep. Uh, okay. So I just encourage parents to just talk about it with your children. Um, it's definitely, it gives them a safe space to talk about how they're feeling and how to process it. And especially if you give them a biblical perspective. And like my sister was saying, that there's hope at the end of the tunnel when we all get to heaven, that this is all gonna go away. I just encourage um, parents to just um, get with their kids and just to make sure that they're doing all right uh, in, this, um, in this season of life because like different kids at different ages with different situations in life will process like what's going on differently. And I just encourage y'all to just pray with your kids, check up on them and just make sure that they're doing all right mentally and spiritually. Anybody else? I would definitely say uh, parents, be honest with your children. Don't sugarcoat anything. Please make sure they're aware so like they're not going out into the world like as a little lamb, like not knowing anything. And just to understand that at the end of the day, Jesus is king. So no matter how tough it is in this world, like everybody got to stand before him at the end of the day. Um, just like what basically everybody said, just make sure you're talking to your kids about this. Because not only does it grow their knowledge in things that are going to happen to them when they get out into the real world, but it also can grow your relationship with them in general. Because talking with your kids, at least in my opinion, has grown my relationship with my parents. Um, and it just educated me on the things that I'm going to need to know, at least to be comfortable, I guess, when I get older and go out into the real world, so. Uh, I mean, I would encourage parents to not only have conversations with their children about God's love for them and God's, um, God's like protection over them, but in the sense of, of what we talk about with racial injustice, I, I encourage parents to talk to children about their blackness. Um, I think we have right now at least a good amount of people in our society, especially black people, who have become colorblind to the idea that, that their blackness is not that important. Um, where our history isn't something that should be valued or be appreciated or be learned about by other people. So like, I encourage parents to continuously have conversations with their children, not only on God's love for them, but why they should love who they are and who God has made them to be. Amen, amen, amen. Let's give God a big up for our young people. Amen, 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 amen. So we're gonna get ready to transition. And as we transition, I want us to um, be mindful that we don't, we don't do this hopelessly. We don't talk about this. That's why we had to transition to hope. But one of my favorite verses on hope is Romans 15, 13. It says, now may the, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe or in believing, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So our desire is, in the midst of all of this, we don't want to uh, <laughs> dive into the gloom and doom of it. We want to realize that we are living in a dim reality, but we know that we have a massive hope in the might and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then have communion. Father, thank you for this time. Your mercy and kindness knows no end. And so God, I pray that you would touch our young people. Lord God, give them hope. Help them to be filled with hope. Help them to be driven by hope in Jesus Christ. And Lord God, as they venture into the globe, Lord God, will you protect them and give them prophetic voices to be able to speak for you in the world, no matter whether or not they're an engineer, whether or not they are entrepreneur, whether or not they're a teacher, an artist, a, a YouTuber, whatever. Whatever they're doing, Lord God, I pray that you would uh, give them strength, 
Give them strength. Give them strength. Give them strength and fill them with your spirit and fill them with your word. May a biblical worldview be clear to them, Lord God, and they would be able to discern the difference between good and evil. And Lord God, I pray that you would graduate them not only from school, but from milk to meat. Lord God, that their spiritual maturity and their growth will be known to everyone. God, we thank you. God, we bless you. God, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen, amen. Um, if you guys want to take communion, you can give them communion. It won't seem weird if you want to give uh, any of our youth who want to take communion, communion. Oh, y'all already got it? Oh, y'all do? Okay. Yeah, y'all can bring it up. Yeah, we can bring it up. Yeah. Anybody else want to take communion? Don't have it? All right. Well, it's beautiful to take communion with y'all. Beautiful. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, right before the next day, uh, he would be crucified. But he would go through an unjust night. He would go from court case to court case. He was bounced from court case to court case. And um, unjustly. And the governor of his country got him unjustly flogged by the police. So our Savior experienced police brutality. And he was condemned to death unjustly. The difference is his death sparks a greater movement than we could ever remember. And he knew that his death would be unjust, and he still went to the cross. He knew that they would treat him poorly, but he still went. He knew that it would be painful, but he still went for you and I. And that's why we take communion, to commemorate the prophecy and his practice. He took the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Let us eat together. And after the bitter herbs and the Passover meal, he took the cup and said, this is my blood, blood of the new covenant, which was shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Let's drink together. If you don't mind holding up your hand. Now unto him who is able to present you before his throne with exceeding gladness and joy. To him, our God and Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. God bless you. Take care. Thank you for being with us in the comments. I want them to see positive stuff. So can you all flood the comments with positive encouragement for these young people for their contribution today? Can you do that today? Send them some encouragement. God bless you. Take care. Lord, say the same. See you next week where we'll be talking about overcoming the stronghold of racial injustice. Take care. Grace and peace. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.